Pastor Slave comes recommended to us from some other Methodist churches where he has spoken. And when I reached out and invited him to come and share with us, I thought, I hoped, I prayed that the conflict in Ukraine would be finished and we would be talking about what had happened instead of what is happening. And yet they find themselves still in the midst of war today. I hope that you will be praying for Pastor Slavic as he comes. His wife Sasha and children Timothy and Melania are here today with him. He is an ordained Baptist minister. His dad is pastor of a church, so he's second generation at least in ministry, and runs a, a humanitarian effort called Serve Ukraine. <clears throat> so I invite you to pray for him and give him your attention as he comes and brings us the word this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Jackson for this kind invitation to be in your church. It's truly a joy and honor to worship with believers in Jesus. And uh, first of all, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Ukraine. It's interesting, we speak different languages. We have different customs and traditions. Our buildings look different, but we have the same Jesus. We have the same Lord. And Bible tells us that there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. First of all, let me introduce myself. My name is Slavik Rimsky. I was raised in a family of a preacher. My father is the pastor. My grandfather was the preacher during the Soviet Union days when the word freedom was something that they could only dream about. In the beginning of the 20th century, the Communist Party in Soviet Union, in Russian Empire, that Ukraine was a part of, undertook a massive program to make the state atheist. Thousands of churches were destroyed or converted to other use. There were many anti-Christian campaigns to convince people, and especially young people, not to come to church, not to become believers. By 1950, it was considered that the communist persecution of the church and transformation from Christianity to atheism proved to be enormously successful. But nothing could ever stop true followers of Christ from worshiping Him. The church was essentially underground. Believers met in the vaults, in the cellars, hiding in different places in secret. And it's ironic, but under those circumstances, the church grew in numbers. The most severe punishment was on pastors and leaders of such church. My, my father's church was pastored by a gentleman called Vasily. And the KGB people threatened him multiple times. One night they came to, him, to his home and they said, get your things together. This is your last day. So he followed them into deep woods, into the forest. They gave him a spade and they told him, now dig your own grave. When he finished digging, he was probably up to his ear in that pit. And they said, now you... Now you tell us if you really want to be 
a believer or you deny your faith and we'll take you home. And he said, no, I choose Christ. So they told him, turn around. So he turned around and he thought that that would be his last breath. They made a couple of shots in the air and he had to make his way home. He came in the middle of the night and they repeated that cycle several times, taking him in the woods, shotting, making shots in the air, but letting him go. My grandfather had a little different story. The KGB people threatened him multiple times. And they said, look, you either choose freedom and go home, but you deny Jesus, or you will go to prison. My grandfather chose prison. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison in Siberia just for leading an underground church. Just imagine and put yourself in his position. What would you choose? Christ and prison? Worldly freedom, but with no Christ. After he served seven years in the prison, he came back to his village and he found that his family was buried in the cemetery. We still don't know what happened, but we believe that was part of the communist machine destroying believers and their families and stopping the growth of Christianity. My grandparents copied the New Testament by hand. One handwritten New Testament was passed from one family to another family secretly. And people held the scriptures and Bible as something precious. Something that they loved, appreciated. They read it. They drank from it as thirsty people drink water. Just think how many Bibles we have today and how rarely we read the Word of God. But I'm here standing before you thanks to their faith the faith of my grandparents who passed the baton of faith to me and thanks to the trust that they had in their Lord. In Proverbs 3, 5, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, trusting the Lord is easy when you see how everything is going to work out. When you have a secure job, money in the bank account, when your bills are paid, when your marriage is going wonderfully, when your children are obedient, following the Lord, when you're in good health, and everything just seems like it's going wonderfully. And you're living on the mountaintop of joy, but to be completely honest, during those times, it doesn't take much to trust the Lord. And the challenge to trust comes when life happens and you go from the mountaintop of joy into the valley of despair. On Sunday, February 21st, I was on the mountaintop of joy. My father and I, we have just dedicated and built a new church building. And we were happy. We thought how we would evangelize the whole city. 
how many people would come and be saved in our new church building. We have outgrown our small room that was flooded with people. People were standing everywhere. So we built a new church building. And I was leaping for joy. On Monday, I kissed my wife goodbye and went to the USA on a conference. And my valley of despair started on Wednesday, two days later, when I was in California at the conference. A pastor friend of mine came running towards me one night, and his face was red, he was breathing heavily, and just by looking at him, I could say that something bad has happened. So he ran up to me and he said, Slavic, you must return home immediately because Russians started bombing Ukraine. I could not believe that. I simply could not believe what he told me. I returned to my room quickly. I got online and started looking at what was happening in Ukraine, the major cities of Ukraine. Smaller cities, airports, infrastructure, bridges bombed by Russian jets or artillery or missiles. And you know, when, when we're gripped with fear, we forget about the power of prayer. And all these thoughts were coming to my mind. Will I ever get to see my family again? Is this a nuclear threat that Putin was talking about. So several people from the conference room came down to my room and, and I remember how we got on our knees and I remember earnestly praying God to take my wife and children out of Ukraine and to bring them into safety. After the prayer, I called my wife. They are 10 hours ahead of us in Ukraine. So she was asleep and just pulling myself together. I said, sweetheart, something terrible happened in Ukraine. No, you listen to me carefully. Get the children. Get the suitcase that I left in the garage. Don't bother to pack much. Don't waste any time. Get in the car and run. And she told me, what are you talking about? We're going to school. I don't want children to miss school. I said, sweetheart, go online. Check what's going on. Look at all those destruction. In an hour, I called back my wife. She was already driving. She was already in the car. And she told me, Slavic, I've just received my driver's license. I can hardly know how to drive because she has never been outside of uh, of a bigger city. She has never been outside of Ukraine. And now I'm telling her, go to Moldova, the nearby country. And she asks me, what if I hit another car? And I tell her, you don't worry. You just drive. Don't worry about the car. So as Sasha was driving, I was navigating her. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning, California time, when I received a call from, from a friend Indian friend, whom I have seen only three times in my life. And he gave me a call and he said that the Holy Spirit woke him up. He asked where I was, what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm here in California, but my, my wife and children are going through all of this. Because as soon as my wife pulled out of a garage, 
She saw everything that was going on. Hundreds of cars, people in panic, people in lines to get the supplies from the store, people in line to get the gas from the gas stations. So I told him what was going on, and he tells me, look, you don't worry about anything. Here's my credit card. Buy those three tickets and bring them to the United States. And I was like, wow, thank you, Lord. If, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do that. So I'm calling my wife and I tell him, you go to Moldova and we will get you out of there. Now Moldova at that moment enforced the state of emergency and shut down all airports because they were so afraid Russia would attack them as well. So I told Sasha, you stay overnight at a pastor's house and go further. You go to Romania. So she was able to get on a bus then she called me a few hours later and she told me that the bus broke down. I was like, oh Lord, why is it so difficult? But we know that, that God sometimes is not in a hurry, but he's not late either. So several times my wife gave me reports how the driver of the bus tried to fix it multiple times until they finally sent a new bus and reloaded all the passengers and the bus barely made it in time to the airport in Bucharest. And Sasha took children and flew to the United States. It was three days' journey. You know, when we look at our women, at our women, we think that they're fragile, not as strong as we men. But the reality is, when it comes to protecting their children, they are invincible fighters. They are so courageous. And I'm thankful for everything that my wife went to bring our children to the United States. And today is the day 130 of war in Ukraine. It's the war of destruction, uh, war crimes, death, as I'm sharing this, Russian missiles are hitting my region, my home state of Odessa. And it's hard to describe with tragedy what we as Ukrainians feel as a result of this invasion. Some cities are demolished to ashes. There are just ruins and ruins left. There are mass graves where the bodies of thousands of tortured, innocent civilians are buried. The violence of Russian armies is horrific and incomprehensible. In some of those occupied cities controlled by Russians, they are persecuting Christians and prohibiting them to go to church because they think that evangelical churches is the influence of the West and they need to cut that connection by prohibiting people going to church. It's estimated that nearly 11 million people fled their homes. But look, in Bible, in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. We know that these are indicators, that these are signs that our Lord is coming soon. And yet, in times like this, there is light. There is light. 
coming from God's church because a war cannot stop God from moving in the lives of people. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church grew during the darkest day of Soviet persecution. The church is growing today. The church is growing today when Russian bombing and shelling of the Ukrainian cities takes place. My wife and I did not make plans to come here. If I wasn't at the conference in the United States when the invasion started, we would have probably still been in Ukraine. But I have learned over the years that when things didn't go the way we planned it, the way we wanted, they went exactly how God wanted. We have received many confirmations of the Lord bringing us to the United States for such time as, as this. Weekly, our church that you can see on the next picture that we built serves 1,500 people, 1,500 people. We organize food distribution and are able to bring supplies of food into Ukraine from Europe. The funds that we raise in the United States, we send over to Europe to bring the supplies and to feed people. Last Thursday, just three days ago, 1,600 people came to church to receive supplies, water. And we, we bring them in by 100s, by the group of 100. And my father gets to preach, 100, uh, gets to preach 10 times a day. So after half an hour of a sermon, another group of 100 gets in. My father preaches, we give them away food and supplies, then another group comes in. And there is something that I wanted to show you on the next picture. You're probably wondering what that is. This is the picture of the retired gentleman who came to church on the food distribution day riding his bicycle at 3.23 in the morning to be the first one in line for the bag of groceries that he would receive. For people like this man who live on $80 retirement pension, these supplies that give, we give away through our church and now other churches are the only means of survival as shelves are literally empty. All, all oil refineries in Ukraine have been destroyed. Gas has to be imported. Food has to be imported. The war is taking people's lives. But since we came here, we started gathering information about different needs of Ukraine. And we put together a collective effort called Serve Ukraine. And we are able to help not only our church, but also other churches that you can see in the picture who are feeding, baptizing, housing, serving people. There are many people who are being saved, many people who are being baptized. So there is beauty coming from the ashes. We know that our God works in mysterious ways. And we know how can, He can bring something good out of bad. And Bible teaches us that the problems of this world present 
unique opportunities for the church. And when we're involved in advancing the glory of God, we are in fight against evil. Bible tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'm so thankful that thanks to the support of American churches, we're able to send Bibles, to send supplies, to help people evacuate. One of my good friends in the northern Ukraine is a pastor. He has three biological and seven adopted children. But he wanted to do something during this war. So he organized a convoy of 26 buses. And they go to very dangerous areas of constant fire, of constant fighting. And they evacuate old people, women, children. They take them, load in these buses, and bring them into safety into the other areas of Ukraine. Risking their own lives, he's helping others. There are others who are doing the same. We're all mobilized to help Ukraine survive this barbarian attack and to be the nation on the hill. We know that our God is able to conquer armies, to conquer giants, even with a few stones. We know that we are outnumbered, outgunned in Ukraine. We don't know how much longer the war will go on. But while Sasha and I are here, we want to be the feet and hands of Jesus, helping our nation, helping our people survive, and bringing God's glory during the time of war. I thank you for your attention. Thank you for inviting me to share what is going on. The, Ukra the war in Ukraine hasn't stopped. It's, there's not much on media anymore, but we need your prayers. Please continue to pray. I know that the day will come when the cup of God's anger will be filled, and He will act, and He will get involved, and He will stop that madness. But we need to pray. Maybe your pray prayer will be the last and that cup will be full. But thank you for your attention. God bless you.